Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring the strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working part-time at my private practice and part-time at a community mental health agency in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and an owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. And please refer to your state guidelines and licensing boards for any ethical concerns. And please remember to subscribe and follow our podcast and on Instagram. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. We're excited to have you here for another bonus episode, Epigenetics. We are going to be talking about our genes and that they can change based on our environment. Um, and I think it'd be really helpful to talk about why we care. Like, why do two, why are two therapists sitting here <laughs> talking about epigenetics? It's such a mouthful to say. Yes. Mm -hmm. And some of you may have never heard this word. Yes. Some of you may have a little bit of information and are excited to hear more. And um, some of you may know quite a bit more than what we're going to offer today. Just like any other bonus episode that Abby and I have, we've taken some notes, done a little bit more talking. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit more script to this episode. Yes. And when I'm looking at my notes under, you know, why epigenetics, my two bullet points are, one, they help us inform our work. Mm. And we will get into more of like how how they help us inform our work, both when we are trying to conceptualize what's happening for a client and when we're trying to be reflective um, about us in front of a client. And then hope. Um, we've been talking. I wrote that down too. Oh, yes. <laughs> Circled. Yeah. Yeah. Abby yeah. and I are on a cloud of hope right now. We are. We. It's been a, yeah, well over an hour that we've sat here and just settled into that feeling of hope because there's. How do you say his name? Moshi Ziff. Shoot. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're gonna link him, but he is such an important person in the field of epigenetics. And I was listening to one of his lectures with Kelly here and I was thinking about, he uses the word freedom at the end of his talk, that there is so much freedom and space and expansion. And it got me thinking about healing, how that is kind of the essence of healing is like making space for something new. It feels very hopeful and that feels needed in COVID specifically. Like we always need hope, but right now, gosh, I love the idea that we have some agency and control, especially in a year where so much is beyond our control. Yeah. And we'll get to talk about kind of these two varying ideas about mm -hmm. genes versus epigenetics. Yes. Where these kind of theories of thought came from and, and where we're at, we've arrived kind of now. Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is really only about 10 years old. Yes. Yeah. It's really new. You know, so for me, I really needed to look up some images to understand, you know, I had this realization. I think I talk about epigenetics very informally with probably every client, mm -hmm. depending on their age, right? And um, realize I don't understand what a gene is when we were trying to record this. And so I needed to look up some pictures. And so here's some left brain data. We have 50 trillion cells. Yes. 50 trillion cells in our body. And every cell has DNA. Mm -hmm. 
which is in the nucleus of the cell. If you stretched your DNA, like unwound it, it's very tightly wound. Well, if you stretched a DNA within one cell, it would be six feet tall. Yes. One cell. And then all 50 trillion of them, it was just wild. It'd be two lengths of the solar system, two diameters. Yes. And there was something about that image of how much we hold and feels like there's so much possibility um, that all of our cells hold so much information. And your, your genes are essentially what tell the cell what kind of cell it is. And, you know, that's what tells us if you have brown eyes or blue eyes and if it's a liver cell or a brain cell and the ways that the genes are expressed are different in each cell. Yes. Mm -hmm. So one way to be thinking about what you're saying is an example um, from one of the books that we had read is that similar to when Henry Ford had created the assembly line, every worker has a specific duty. They work together yes. and it's it's the most efficient way to get something done. And so every cell in our body has a very specific duty because it's the most efficient way to keep everything running. And it's cooperative. Yes. I like how Bruce Lipton um, in this book, The Biology of Belief, talks about um, that we are almost like a bustling community of 50 trillion cells, mm -hmm. um, that they have to work together, like you're saying, to be efficient. And I also like the image of a symphony, that they all play a different different part of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what you also talked about is needing to like have a visual. Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, how do we have a visual on a podcast? Right. <laughs> It's really hard, guys. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't go to school for biology yeah. or physics or yeah. any really kind of science um, information or, you know, just took the required science classes, this stuff is really difficult to hold on to without mm -hmm. rereading it several times. And for Abby and I, uh, both reading it, audio and visuals. Yes, that's so true. I had to we created like a sensory experience to understand this. And that feels really important, actually, as I'm saying it out loud, because it loses meaning unless we make it like I can almost it's so silly um, in a way, but it feels palpable, like mm -hmm. how incredible our body is and how like every cell has information encoded into it. And that makes people just brilliant. Right. And and there's these two different schools of thought, and I think they can work together. Yes. So we've talked about, um, so like the field of genetics is, we all have probably heard that like, oh, I have the the gene for addic addiction, mm -hmm. right? It's passed down in my family. Mm -hmm. Or I have the gene for um, being tall, mm -hmm. which is for sure me um, <laughs> and you. And, <laughs> and, um, and it's hereditary. It's passed down from our ancestors. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we hear people talking about in the client room. I'm afraid that she's going to be like her aunt who has um, this diagnosis. Yes. Or, well, she probably has this diagnosis because it runs in dad's side of the family. Yes. And it's wise for our system to pass down these adaptations because it believes, like in utero, we, you know, mamas are passing down this blueprint to their babies to set them up for the best chance of survival. Um, and we touched on this in a different episode, but that's why the genes of a baby that's born during the Holocaust is going to look different than the genes of a baby that is born when all is well and safe for that mom. And they're different because of the epigenetics. Because of the environment. Yeah. Yes. The And the word epigenetics, am I getting this right? It means on top of yes. genetics. Yes. 
So, Epi is on top of. Yes. And I think that's so interesting to think about that our environment does shape our genes. Um, genes are not like stagnant. They don't turn on and off on their own. They need something to trigger a change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why, yes, the environment would shift how the genes are expressed. It's not just hereditary. Yeah. So if you have a mom who, and I think we did give this an example in another podcast, who maybe is pregnant during the Holocaust towards the end, Mm -hmm. she has the child after the Holocaust has ended. Mm -hmm. While this child was in the womb, the genes that were on top, the epigenetics, started to change that blueprint to prepare the child for a world that didn't have food. Mm -hmm. And so one way to look at it is the genes could have changed to any time that you get food, you need to store that as fat so that you can survive. Yes. And so now you have a child who's born into the world where the Holocaust is over. There's plenty of food. And every time they eat, mm-hmm. it's stored as fat and they become obese. Yes. Where maybe the sibling that the mother becomes pregnant with 10 years later after the Holocaust is gone, they are not going to be um, a kiddo who's obese mm-hmm. because their environment in the womb is very different. Yes. I'm noticing that I'm really loving listening to you and I need to respond with something because people are listening to me. And so <laughs> I was going that same way. I was like, oh, Abby's talking. Oh, I, I got to talk. I'm just listening. Yes. Um, well, I think uh, what I do want to do is rewind really quickly back to when you're talking about these kind of, there's two different ways of thinking about yeah. it. And one thing that we know is that there are two layers mm-hmm. to DNA. Mm-hmm. And what you started to touch on is there's this kind of like older layer of DNA that we know is there from the time of evolution. It's been there millions of years. It's very ancient. Yeah. And this DNA is fixed. But the other layer, which is on top of that DNA, yes. the epigenetic, is this very like open, dynamic. There's a narrative there. It gives us this exactly what we were talking about, freedom. Yeah. I think Moshi Ziff talks about this so eloquently that Mm -hmm. it's interactive and like you're saying dynamic. And what you're talking about is making me think about mindfulness and being present. And it's very related to interpersonal neurobiology in the sense of always we are interacting with each other. And we have talked about in our bonus episode for IPNB, our neurons, our cells that interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, There's genetic information in every cell. And so it's so beautiful to me to consider, you know, gosh, if I imagine a neuron and then I imagine what's inside the neuron and how that is being influenced Mm -hmm. by just being with someone, whether there's safety or not, like we are the environment as the therapist or as the friend or the partner. And that affects our genes. That is just wild to me that that affects how we, how our genetic information is encoded and how we pass that down to others and influence them. And it's it's beyond like neuroplasticity, that concept that the brain is, you know, Dr. Purvis would say it's plastic. Mm-hmm. The, the structure of the brain is shaped by experiences. It's like epigenetics takes it this step further. And it's so beautiful to me that our genes are also dynamic and changing and shaped by experiences and, and need integration. I wonder if there's something that always longs for into integration and healing, even in ourselves. Yeah. And as you're talking about us as therapists being the environment and how just our presence is is changing the environment for the client. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we know now with epigenetics that we are literally changing people's DNA. Yeah. If you take that a step further, we're literally changing generations. Yes. 
That is the most hopeful thing. <laughs> like, it feels like it. And also yes. pressure. Okay, true. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That Yes, it is like a the responsibility feels there's a weight. There's a weight and it's like, well, when we know better, we can do better. Yes. And I love these, I love this idea of, and we were kind of talking about this before recording, how if we're born with all the same materials, how we use those materials is different based on the, the like the weather. Mm-hmm. So if I have all the materials to build a house, mm-hmm. the house I'm going to build on the beach mm-hmm. is very different than what I would build in the Arctic. I might use the wood for like firewood. If you were in the Arctic. Yes. And like make an igloo, right? Mm -hmm. Versus on the beach, I'd make like a, like a little hut and hang out. And so I think I have so much compassion for clients that are challenging to work with when I can consider that their, their cells are doing the best that they can. Like self-compassion runs deep. Yes. I don't know that it's so Darwinian of like survival of the fittest as much as like there's a cooperative collectiveness within each person. And then we've talked about the, the collective moving towards healing as people, mm-hmm. that feels like the opposite. It does. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we know that tribes survived for centuries because they were together in these pods and working together mm-hmm. and, and cooperating. And they each had um, a role within their community. And that was the most efficient way to survive. And, and we know that's why in prisons, a form of punishment is to put somebody in yeah. isolation. Yes. We don't survive in isolation. Yes. So to tie this all together for you, we're going to give you an analogy and just slowly work through it Mm -hmm. because we can't give you a picture on a podcast. Uh, Certainly we could link it in the show notes and those types of things, but we'd like to kind of sit with you in this and and work through it. Mm -hmm. And bonus, we are coming out with a training. Yeah. Um, So be looking for it um, as far as information on Facebook, our Instagram, but we will be putting out a training on epigenetics that you can sign up for. It'll be a live training sometime the beginning of next year. So the analogy, there are lots of analogies actually as we've been talking and we may teeter between a couple, but the main one we want to use and we found that it fits because we've used this so many times actually in our podcast is thinking about our genes and epigenetics and the ways our cells work is as if there's an orchestra, Mm. as if we are the orchestra, as if within our body there is an orchestra. In this analogy of a symphony or an orchestra, it's like every cell is kind of the song. There's different melodies and harmonies or rhythms that need to play all at the same time to make the collective whole. Um, So imagine like the different songs are the cells or the baking analogy. Yes. So Mm -hmm. it would be you have all the ingredients to make a particular dish. Yes. And a certain amount of these ingredients have to go into this dish to make what you are looking for, this kind of collective whole, this piece of bread, these 12 cookies. Yep. Yeah. And so the one cell that's a muscle cell, that song is going to be different than a neuron, like a brain cell, just like sugar is different than salt, Mm -hmm. but they're both needed and they are at the same time to make the dish or to make the symphony. Yes. So the sugar is needed to sweeten it. Yes. Obviously the salt is there for another purpose in the orchestra, maybe the um, cello yep. is needed to create this, like, I don't know, this deep vibration within yes. the song. Right. 
where the flute maybe brings up um, the mood in the song. Like a different melody, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the protein, we won't go too much into this. It's a really important part of epigenetics that we will discuss more um, at a training. For the purposes of this analogy, like the proteins are important because they're kind of the messengers. Um, so each each musician's specific part is like a protein in the cell. I think the baking analogy works better to understand that though. So if you're using baking soda or baking powder, mm -hmm. that gives the message that this needs to rise, the bread needs yeah. to rise. Like one one musician's, if I'm imagining an orchestra, like one musician's part might cue the next person to do their part, just like there's chemical reactions between baking soda and salt or baking powder. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm remembering, as you may have heard in the last podcast, when I was in band <laughs> and you have the music in front of you. Yeah. There is something um, that let that cues you to know when you are to play next. Wow! So that's like the protein, yeah. the messengers. Okay, and then the DNA. So if you think of okay, the symphony, everything's playing together. That's like our body. The cells are the different songs and melodies and rhythms. The proteins are the cues of what to do next. Um, and then you have the DNA, which is the musicians. Or I think in your analogy, it would be the chef. Oh yeah. Like that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So what the what the musician plays might change or be expressed differently, mm -hmm. but the person itself is there, always playing. And mm -hmm. what you will read a lot with epigenetics when you're looking at analogies is the DNA is the blueprint. Yes. Blueprints do not change. The musician doesn't change. The baker doesn't change. Yes. RNA is another thing that we are not going to touch on today, but in the training, stay tuned. But I think the most important and kind of beautiful thing I want to weave into this is the conductor, mm -hmm. because the way that the conductor tells the orchestra to be is so fundamental to what it sounds like. And so depending on how the conductor shapes, it's like the environment mm -hmm. shapes the sound and the feel of the orchestra, it's going to sound different to the listener. Yeah. And we could go with the baking, but I'm actually going to go with another analogy of when we take a picture and we post it on social media, mm -hmm. the picture is a blueprint. What you've captured doesn't change, but you take these filters, which is this environment yes. and you can make the picture smaller or bigger. You can put a different hue on it. Mm -hmm. And so the environment is what's changing the picture. Yes. The filter is on top of the picture. Yes. Epigenetics are on top of right. our DNA. Exactly. I like to think about how like a recording of a song from a robot is still going to have the bones of the same thing, mm -hmm. but it's going to feel so different than if a conductor shaped the sound, mm -hmm. just like the Instagram filter that takes away my wrinkles around my eyes, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, doesn't mean that the wrinkles aren't there. Yes. It just looks different. The way that the picture is expressed on social media is different. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that is helpful for listeners to under to have an idea of how how alive we are always. Like yes. I, when I think of epigenetics, it's like, oh my goodness, I am 50 trillion cells bursting with life and information, and it's um, the word I keep wanting to say is alive. It's dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's dynamic, and we are writing the story while living the story. Like it's just such a beautiful, um, hopeful thing that we can based on who we choose to surround ourselves with. This really is important for attachment work. If we have one loving person in our life, then our genes will be different for it. Our nervous systems will be different for it. We are seeing like the effects of what COVID has done, mm -hmm. isolation and so much high acuity 
on our caseloads, right? Yes. I have to lean into the hope of how important we are as therapists, not in a pressure way, but in like a, it sincerely changes people on a cellular level when we just show up with safety. Yes, because as we were talking off the podcast, COVID is creating prime conditions yes. for our genes to be activated or yes. not activated. Yeah, the environment of the pandemic is starkly different mm -hmm. than 2019. Yes. And so the way that genes are expressed then are going to reflect that, which affects our biochemistry, affects our neurotransmitters and how our mood and how we're feeling. And what I love is the hope of when someone lends me their nervous system, mm -hmm. that also changes the environment. That also changes my cells. And in time, my genes are expressed differently too. Yeah. And it goes back to what you're saying with this like dynamic piece and how things mm -hmm. can change. You know, there certainly is, uh, it, it feels like it in our reading that there's this, maybe this feud between yeah. geneticists and <laughs> epigeneticists. It feels that way. Not that we have any insider like. They, they just have very different that way. Yes. Yeah. They have very different ways of viewing why things are the way they are. Yes. Um, and one example that was given in the TED talk that we had watched was that um, geneticists will tell you that poor people are poor because they have bad genes. Mm -hmm. And epigenetists will tell you that poor people are poor because of the environment they live in. Yeah. And going back to that cellular level, the baby in the womb has already been told what yes. environment they're going to be born into. So that they can survive that environment. So I can hold compassion for that baby's cells mm -hmm. and offer a different way by just being, well, go listen to the bonus episode on IPMB, right? Mm -hmm. But by just extending my own like really good regulation, mm -hmm. we offer another way of being. Mm -hmm. So it's not fatalistic. I think that when I think of genetics, like that's good information and it feels very stuck. Mm -hmm. It's stagnant. It's fixed. It's unchanging. Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is so hopeful. Um, and it's like the, the scientific reason for why we do what we do as therapists. Yes. Mm -hmm. The other piece of hope I want to bring into is I was sharing with a client one time about epigenetics and they were talking about being raised by a step parent and mm -hmm. not their biological parent. And as we talked about epigenetics, you saw all of a sudden first this light come on their face and then mm. these tears. And they said, oh my gosh, that means that some of the stuff from my step parent was passed on to me. Mm. And it filled them with so much hope. Oh. They were having, you know, those tears of joy Yeah, that this person that raised them, they for so long had felt like, I have these genetics from somebody who didn't raise me. And I so wish I could have had them from the step parent. Yes. And based on the environment, how the step parent grew up, this client was able to, to embody that, wow, I do have pieces of my uh, step parent in me. Yes. We inherit from each other. Mm-hmm. That feels so holding to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure how to end this other than I feel lighter. Uh, I feel like I'm gazing more than like looking at my notes. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you, the listener, can just explore what that was like to listen to us talk and maybe even like look at your hands and your toes and touch your cheeks and imagine like all these cells that are working for you and doing the best they can and that there's other ways of being if you're feeling stuck in the pandemic it's not hopeless on a cellular level who knows maybe it goes even deeper on an atomic level it does. <laughs> like, I mean, it we, ra does. we wrap all the way around yes. the universe the yes. solar system 
it's not hopeless. And if someone listening could just sense that from us, that we're going to hold hope for you because we want to offer a different way of being, even in listening to this today. Yeah. And while we hold hope for you, we hope that somewhere in the universe that goes to you and you can hold that for your clients. Mm.